Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, we are, um, we are if you didn't know this, on our last week in the book of Joshua. It's been, uh, it's been a fun seven weeks so far. Uh, 23 chapters, and now we're on 24. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and, uh, and uh, open up to the book of Joshua today. Um, if, um, if you don't know where that is yet, um, it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Joshua. If you hit Judges, then go left, okay? All right, sound good? All right. But hey, um, the way that I wanted to open up this morning was um, just share one of, one of my favorite experiences in West Virginia. Who well, here likes some West Virginia state parks? Who's been to some of them before? Yeah. Um, our youth group actually had a, had a great opportunity yesterday uh, to go over to North Bend State Park. And um, I think there's going to be some pictures that we post sometime this week um, about that. But uh, we had a great time. Another time that uh, my wife and I, um, we actually went to one of the state parks was we actually went over to Seneca Rocks. Who's been to Seneca Rocks before? Yeah, a lot of you have. Um, who's, who's hiked to the top of Seneca Rocks? All right, okay, so you're going to be in good company as I, as I share with you our story. Precious and I, we, we took a day trip over, in, uh, over to the eastern panhandle, that's where Seneca Rocks is, uh, in 2017. And as you can see, Seneca Rocks is a 900-foot, um, just jagged cliff that, uh, that, that's uh, very popular for, for hiking and for rock climbing and even hang gliding, we have found. And, um, and so Precious and I, we, we took this time. We didn't have our kids with us, thankfully, so we were able to actually get, it, get up there in pretty good time. We hiked all the way up there. It's not a bad hike. And as we got to the top we saw the observation deck. Um, and so we walked out on the observation deck, as you can see, and, and there's an awesome view from the top. I encourage you, if, if you go there, check it out. But uh, there's just this great view of the valley below. And uh, as we turned to then head all the way then to the summit, because um, this observation deck was a little down below, we turned to, to go the rest of the way, we saw this sign. And this is a picture of it. Stop! You alone are responsible for, for your safety. Now, we know it is very tempting to proceed past this point, but without proper climbing equipment, you are putting yourself and your family and friends at risk. Since 1971, 15 people have died at Seneca Rocks from falls. It's not worth the risk. And then somebody wrote down below, can you see it? you have nothing to live for. That's not true, okay? <laughs> okay, but here's what is not actually true. There's a false statement on this sign. Hikers enjoy the same, very same view from the safety of the observation platform. Yeah, right, okay? So I was just like, I saw right through the sign. I know the danger. I understand the danger. But if you know me, I'm a risk taker. My wife isn't as much of a risk taker, not in that way. I had a decision to make. I already knew what my wife's decision was. But I had a decision to make. Do I leave her behind to raise, well, now four kids? I think at that time, maybe it was, was it two? 
that time? Three? Three at that time? Three kids as a single mom? Um, I had a decision to make, and I chose that we had not just climbed, hiked all the way to the top of the Seneca Rocks to not get to the summit. And so I proceeded past that sign. I booked it past it. I, I, I looked back at my wife and I said, I'm going. Just make sure they change the sign <laughs> to 16. Uh, well, as you can tell, um, I did not die that day. Um, this is a very bad picture. It's, it was actually a 360 picture that I took. As you can see, that very narrow ledge at the top, there is a very, very steep, long fall in store for me if I would have fallen. And I was there up on top of there looking, you know, doing a 360 with my phone. Anyway, <laughs> I love Seneca Rocks, and I hope to go there again um, sometime soon. But it, what it reminded me of, that story reminded me of, it's one of my favorite to tell, was that sometimes we're often intrigued by people's last words. And thankfully, those words that I spoke to my wife were not my famous last words. They weren't. Um, but uh, often people, when, when, they, uh, when they are quoted with famous last words, often what they say is, is very profound, uh, very telling about their whole life. And today, as we come to this book of Joshua, what we actually find is that he shared with us some of his famous last words. And so we are going to be in Joshua chapter 24. Again, if you have your Bibles, open up there with me because we are going to hear from Joshua what he had to say right before he died. Right before he died. So Joshua chapter 24, that's where we are this morning. Um, today, as we come to the, the end of this book, um, over 23 chapters, we've been hearing a story of God's faithfulness and um, we've seen this leader in Joshua follow God courageously, obediently. Um, we, we've seen him, him walk in obedience, and, and we've been encouraged to be strong and courageous like him, haven't we? We've seen walls crumble. We've seen waters part. We've seen a harlot saved. We've, uh, we've talked about Aiken's sin. Uh, last week, uh, Tim, our missionary um, from Nova Scotia, he talked about um, the, the nation being deceived. Um, and then, uh, then if you summarize basically a summary from where he left off until the, the end of this book, basically we see battle after battle one, and the land then distributed to the nation of Israel. God is going forth in power. He is defeating their enemies, not by anything that they did, but because he went before them. And Joshua comes to the end, and, um, and, and he has some things that, that he wants to say to this nation. And it's, it's very apparent as we get to the end of this book that what was more important than Joshua conquering the land was what God wanted to do in the heart of Joshua and in the heart of his people. See, what God wanted to do in them was more important than what God wanted to do through them. And I think you're going to notice that actually in your own life. Uh, as you face obstacles, as you face difficulties, you're going to know that, that what God wants to do in you is, is often way more important than what God wants to do through you. He wants your heart and so as we get to Joshua 24, we see these famous last words. Verse 1, let's look at it together. It says, says here in your Bibles in Joshua 24, 1, that Joshua, 
he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Let's just stop there a second. We've learned early on in this book that the places we're tempted to skip are the places where God speaks. And Shechem is important. So let's just pause there and let's understand what is what is Shechem? What was Shechem? Shechem was significant. Actually, this was a place that was rich in history. Um, for one thing in particular, but, but I can't even talk about all the events that happened in Shechem. There were actually more if you study it on your own. As they came to this, this uh, area called Shechem, we recognized that this was actually the place where their father, their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, first entered into the promised land himself. And there Abraham, as he received a message from God, received a promise, a promise about the land. And actually that was fulfilled the day that Israel gathered here at the end of Joshua. Look, um, look up on the screen. I have a text from, jo- from Genesis chapter 12. And this is a text that, that talks about their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, as he passed through the land. It says that Abraham passed through the land, through the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At, the, at, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Do you see the prophecy that was fulfilled, the promise fulfilled right here at this time? Abraham standing in this this area called Shechem receives a promise from God to your offspring, I will give this land. And here, hundreds of years later, after 400 years of, of slavery, after a deliverance from Egypt, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, Israel has come into this land and God is saying, I am a faithful God, I am faithful to my promises. You are standing in the place where Abraham received the promise and I have given it to you. And that's what Joshua wanted these people to remember. Joshua wanted the people to remember God is a faithful God. And I have a few points in your bulletin. As, uh, as, as we're going to hear his famous last words. But basically that was his message. That God is faithful. And we're going to see some ways that he lists the faithfulness of our God. And it, it should lead us then to a response. And that's what we're going to get to at the end today. Alright? As we go on in verse 1 it says that he summoned all of the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers to Israel. And they presented themselves before God. So Joshua, he, he couldn't speak directly to the whole nation. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't send out a mass email. They couldn't do a one call now. They, 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 you know, it was too many people to, to gather them all in one place for them to actually hear everything. And so he, he gets the leaders together. He gathers the leaders, the, the elders, the, those that, that are influential, the officers, the heads, the judges. There's actually a really good leadership principle there. If you want to reach, reach a nation, you've got to reach its leaders, right? And, and so, so he gathers the leaders together, and it says in verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, we don't often actually think of Joshua as a prophet, but here we see him speak as an inspired messenger from the Lord. What his last, famous last words were was actually... They're not his words. 
they were God's words. That's who they were. And he said, thus says the Lord. And we're going to hear a message from the Lord himself that he wanted to impart to the Israelites now. Here's what they were. Look at verse 2. He says, long ago, he's reaching back into their history, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. And they served other gods. Note that for yourself. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. What's the first point? If you're taking notes, God has been faithful. He's reaching back into the past. God has been faithful in the past. Write that down. God has been faithful in the past, or even highlight it. I'm all about writing in your Bible, writing in the margins of your Bible. God has been faithful in the past. Joshua spoke specifically about Abraham's father. We don't hear much about Abraham's father in Scripture, but here we know that Abraham grew up in a family and in a city that was full of pagan idolatry. That's what Abraham's home was. And this is, Abraham was the father of, of their nation. And from, from this, this pagan family, idolatrous home, we hear about Abraham's father, Terah. Actually, what we know about Terah is that ancient, ancient legends tell us that he was actually an idol maker, and he sold idols for a living. Now, that's not in the Bible, but that's, that's what, what tradition actually tells us. So we don't know if it's absolutely true, but it tells you some of Abraham's background, doesn't it? Ur, the city that Abraham grew up, was also known for worshiping the moon as a god. That's pagan worship. And so, so we see the kind of, kind of people that Abraham was surrounded by, what he grew up in. And from that, God called Abraham out of. Josh is telling these, these people, your past, your heritage, your family is as a people who were not God's people. You were not always God's. You used to worship other gods. You used to worship other idols. You weren't mine. You rejected me. And, and can I just speak to us as well? I, I don't know what your family background may be, but you may feel that same way based on your heritage as well. Maybe you weren't raised in a family that believed in Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe your parents did not take you to church as a child and, and there's been a generational shift for you right now. Maybe, maybe the use of God's name or the name of Jesus was, was all you remember it being used for was as a cuss word. Uh, I, I know a lot of you have that experience. And that, that's basically what he's saying about Abraham and his family. Is that you were not always God's people. But there was a change. Maybe for you, you're still searching. And you came to Valley Church still searching out, is there a God? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Maybe you're still critical. Maybe you're still learning. Maybe you're still skeptical. And, and if that's you, um, can I just tell you, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here because Valley Church is a safe place for you to come and hear about Jesus. We believe that he is, as we post on our wall and read in our scripture, he's the way, the truth, and the life. But it's a safe place for you. It's a safe place for you. 
if that's you, and if that's the people of Israel, what was Joshua's message? Joshua's point is this. God in his grace reached out to those who did not believe in him or honor him or love him. God loved the sinner. God loved those who are far from him. God loves the lost. And he did everything to redeem and restore and call these people who are far from him to himself. And he'll do the same for you. If you're far from him right now, if you feel like so unworthy, God wants you and he wants to redeem you. That's the story of of Abraham and his family. God called him. He said, leave Abraham, leave your home country and go to the land that I will show you. God called him from his sin. It reminds me of Romans 5 verse 8, which is in the New Testament, tells us this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's you and that's me. While we were still sinners. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to church or to come to Jesus. You can't. You actually can't clean yourself up. I was talking to someone this week that said, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm in a good place to come to church. That's the exact place that you need to actually come to church. Because when you realize that you are weak, that's when his strength is made, made perfect, okay? You don't come to church having it all together. No, you come, you come to church to find Jesus who can take all your broken pieces and make them into something beautiful, right? That, that's, that's what he did. And so God, God uh, the, the, the message that we see right here is that God has been faithful in the past. And we see there, there's other historical references to, to then uh, Isaac, remember? Um, what, was, what was amazing is that Abraham, when he was given this promise, you know, God had told him that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He was at that point, he was very old. I think he was like 75 years old or something. And uh, he didn't have any children. His wife, I think, was like 10 years younger than him. She wasn't, you know, so 65, I think, at that point. They didn't have children for many years, and and they're searching and searching, God, when are you going to fulfill this promise? How how are you going to go? How are you going to do this, God? And when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, God caused Sarah to conceive and bear a son named Isaac. God was fulfilling his promises and it was, it was then um, through Isaac that then he had a son, two sons named Jacob and Esau. You see them referenced there. And from Jacob, then uh, Jacob had, had 12 sons and one of them was Joseph. And you know Joseph's story going down to Egypt, right? And because he, he saved his family from the famine in Egypt, what then followed was then 400 years of slavery, And them crying out to God for deliverance. And it says in the text in verse 5 that God heard their cries. In 24 verse 5, keep on reading with me. He said, and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots. And horsemen to the sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. So God has been faithful in the past. That's number one. The second one is is if you're taking notes, God has been faithful in the impossible. 
He's been faithful in the impossible. Not only was Isaac an impossible, as we go on, their deliverance from Egypt was an impossible. The, the, the defeat of the army was impossible. The, the crossing of the Red Sea was impossible. And I can only imagine that uh, as, as, uh, as, as all these people have come and, and they've crossed over the Jordan, which was an impossibility. As the walls of Jericho had fallen down, which was an impossibility. As they've defeated all these enemies, which was an impossibility. They're looking back at their history and they're saying, God, he's a God of the impossible. And our God is the God of the impossible, isn't he? He is. But they're looking back, and I, I can only imagine that there, there were probably people that were part of, part of Israel during that time that were actually children when they were delivered from Egypt, that they saw everything that God had done. And they looked back and they were like, yeah, God has been faithful. He's been faithful to his promises. He is the God of the impossible. And, and just a little side note, I don't know what impossible situation you may be going through today, but just so you know, our God is still the same God. He is the same God of the impossible. So trust in him. And that, that was just, just the encouragement. Part of Joshua's famous last words, God's been faithful in the past. He's been faithful in the impossible. Third, this, this is where things take a little turn. He's been faithful in our unfaithfulness. If you're taking notes, that's the third one. He's been faithful in our unfaithfulness. You wouldn't expect that. But look at what Joshua says next. He says, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Right there, Joshua summarized 40 years of their wanderings in the desert. But you'll notice that he does not talk about the reason why they wandered in the desert. Now, if, if these were actually Joshua's words, I would guess that Joshua would have gone off on them and be like, yeah, you were unfaithful. You didn't believe. When we came to the promised land 40 years ago and, and Moses told the spies to go in, I was the only one, you know, along with Caleb that said, let's go take the land. And everybody else, you shrunk back in faith and you, you didn't go. And so, jo so, so God says, oh, you're just going to wander for 40 years in the desert. That's what happened. But this was not Joshua's words or God's words. And so, so you'll notice the way that God speaks to them is so much kinder than maybe what we would speak to them, or Joshua would speak to them, or the way that we would speak to ourselves. See, my point is this. God does not look at them the way that they look at themselves. When they looked at themselves, they saw failure. When you look at yourself, you may see failure. You know, I know that when I look at myself, I see failure after failure after failure, don't, don't you? But that's the joy of the gospel. The joy of the gospel is that when you receive it for yourself, Scripture tells us this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to this. The old has passed away. Your past is gone. Behold, the new has come. It doesn't matter what is in your past. It doesn't matter what your failure is. It is gone. It is removed as far as the east is from the west. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. Remember that. He doesn't look at you the way that you look at you. God looks at you through his son, 
Jesus Christ. And if you've repented of your sins and come to him and said, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? What he's done is, as we've taken communion, it's a representation that he's covered us with his blood. And so when he sees you, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that changes the way that then you can see yourself. It should. A couple more scriptures that, that I would just want to share with you just to, just to help you see yourself the way that God sees you is this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Psalm 103.12 says, as, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you are in Christ, see yourself the way that God sees you. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. So change, change the way that you look at yourself. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I, I, will, I will tell you this. It is one thing to mentally ascend to this. And I, I believe as a Christian for many years, I didn't realize this, but I had just men mentally ascended to this. Yes, you know, I have the righteousness of Christ. Yes, you know, I'm forgiven. My past is gone. But I, a few weeks ago when we were on a staff retreat, we were asked to do a little life map, basically, of, of like everything that's happened, you know, that, that has shaped shaped who we are today and some high points and low points and, and things and events that were influential or, you know, failures or things that were good, things were bad. And, and I, I just know from, from putting that life map together that, that, that and those, those of you that were with me, they, you know, I, I listed failure and failure and failure and failure along with some good things. But, but I, as I looked at the map of my life, I saw sin I saw struggles with sin. I saw I saw um, addiction issues, and and um, you know we all presented that to the group, and and um, you know I, I was seeing myself through my eyes. But then, in some words of scripture, as as we as we gather together for some encouragement together, what we actually found was that no, God doesn't see me like that. God doesn't see me as a failure. He sees me as forgiven. And that, that's, that's you too. I, I, I'm not what I have done. I'm not who I was. I'm not my past. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ. And that is you too. If you receive him, if you'll, you'll repent of your sins and trust in him, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. Maybe that's, maybe that's all you needed to hear today, but it's the truth. God does not look at you the way that you look at you. If you're in Christ, he sees Jesus. So, God has been faithful in the past. He's been faithful in the impossible. He's been faithful in our, our unfaithfulness. And then, fourthly, what we see is that J Joshua lists all these, all these battles and, uh, and, and God's faithfulness in the battle. Just, uh, just jump over to verse 11. He's been faithful in the battle. He says, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, 
the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I set and I sent the hornet before you. Now, I'm just going to pause there. I sent the hornet before you. Is that literally what it said? Yeah. Literally, I believe that this could have happened. There's probably other ways to interpret it. I believe that God could have sent hornets before the Israelites into these cities and actually defeated them before they even got there. Isn't that crazy? I mean, if there's a, if there's a hornet, I'm running. Okay, so, so, um, so I don't think it's out of the question. That's what it said. God said, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out. Yeah, I would have gone too. Um, before you, the two kings of the Amorites. And here, here's what's awesome. We're going to key in on this. It was not by your sword or by your bow. It wasn't their military strength. Verse 13, I gave you the land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So the Lord is reminding them of his faithfulness here in the battle. It was the Lord that gave their enemies into their hands, who gave them land, who, and it was, it was not their sword or their bow or their strength or their might. God gave them land they did not work for, cities that they did not build, vineyards they did not plant. And, and if we think about it ourselves in, in the lens, in, in the view of the gospel, we have received the same thing. See, you and I, we battle against sin and against Death, what we deserve for our sin is eternal death and separation from God. But God has given us something that we did not work for or earn, and that is salvation in Christ Jesus. So in view of the gospel, John 3 verse 16, it says this about what we've received. For God, it says, so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent his own son to fight our battle. And he he defeated sin and death by dying the death we deserved on the cross. That's what he did. He fought our battle for us and he rose again from the dead. So we have received, get this, a land that we did not work for and a city we did not build. And that is heaven. And so what, what God had led these Israelites to in this promised land is just a, just a little picture of what God was going to do on a massive scale to redeem a people for himself and give them what they did not deserve. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, just like Israel didn't do it. It's not of your own doing. Salvation is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Isn't that awesome? So, wow, we're, we're understanding the gospel in a, in a deeper way through the Old Testament. God was hinting at what he was going to do. So, I have a statement here that I believe, if I, if I would have had some foresight, I would have put this in our bulletin. But I'm going to tie this all together right now with all these, these four points that you've had. Okay, because I believe that these four points led Joshua to call these people to a response and lead us to a response as well. And so, so here's the statement. Because God has been faithful in the past and in the impossible, 
and in our unfaithfulness and in the battle, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. And that is for us as well. We have a choice to make. You individually have a choice to make. What was that choice? He says in verse 15, the word therefore. So taking all this evidence from the past, let's take it all. And he's calling them to a decision. Let's read it. Verse 14. Now therefore, he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of... whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To summarize what Joshua just said here, he, he, is, he is saying that if after witnessing all that the Lord has done, his faithfulness in the past, in the impossible, in your unfaithfulness, and in the battles... If after all this you believe that it is evil to serve the Lord, then I want to call you to to make a choice. To do yourself a favor and to do God a favor. And this is for us as well. To make a choice to do yourself a favor and to do God a favor. And choose this day whom you will serve. That's the choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, you'll notice Joshua has clearly made his choice, hasn't he? And you see from his history that he has been strong and courageous in the choices that he has made. And so let's, let's just take him as an example. Joshua, he chose to believe the promise that, that God had, had given them the promised land. And so, so when the 12 spies went into Canaan, he came back and said, let's go take this land along with, Can- along with um, Caleb. But there were 10 spies that said no. And they shrunk back in fear, didn't they? Joshua chose to believe against the majority. He chose who he served. Second, Joshua chose to serve the Lord by serving Moses. You remember that he was basically the the servant of Moses, his, his companion. He chose to humble himself before the Lord. He chose who he would serve. Joshua, third, he chose to take up leadership after Moses' death and lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. He chose to trust God, and he chose faith over fear. Third, or fourth, you see that, that in the book, he, he, he chose to cross the Jordan River, choosing to trust God for the impossible. He chose who he would serve. Lastly, he chose to lead the people to walk around the walls of Jericho, choosing confidence in the Lord to fight their battles. Joshua's life was just a description of a life of a choice. And it wasn't a one-time choice. It wasn't just a one-time decision. He was like, oh, I believe God. No, he chose every day to say, I am going to trust the Lord and I'm going to walk forward in faith. And so his famous last words were actually a call to that generation and to future generations to serve the Lord. He made a choice. And I guess my question to you today is this, have you made that choice? Have you made that choice? Because here's the reality. We will all serve someone or something. 
If you just look at your own life, you, you'll realize that maybe, maybe you'll serve idols of money or career or status or achievement, popularity, acceptance, possessions. And what Jesus has to say to you is this, make a choice. Jesus said, and it won't be up on the screen, but I'm going to share what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He also said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the call of Joshua and the call of Jesus is the same for you and for me today. Choose to follow after me. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but do you know that the word Joshua, the name Joshua, is actually the same word in Hebrew as the word uh, Jesus? They're the same. And so, so Joshua is just a little picture of, of, of who Jesus is here in this, in this text and all throughout his life. So as, as, as we end this, my challenge to you is this. If you have made that choice, Joshua is saying just live, live like it. Live your life like you've made that choice. It's not a one-time decision. It's a choice every single day. Verse 15 goes on to say, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, I'll skip down to the end. He says, But as for me and my house, verse 15, we will serve the Lord. Do you see that in verse 15? Yeah. These were actually Joshua's famous last words. The last ones that we remember anyway, right? Because they're so famous today that uh, a lot of us have actually taken these words and we've framed them. We've put them maybe on a doormat as you come into the house. We'll put them on a picture frame, you know, as you walk in the door or above, above our door, right? I mean, some of you have this in, in your homes. And it's a reminder to you of your affirmation that you will be a home, you will be a family that has devoted themselves to Jesus Christ and to serving him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But I wonder on a, on a deeper level, what did that mean for Joshua and what does that mean for us? Because at, at, at a deeper level, what Joshua was actually saying as he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, was he was saying that as for my family and for those under my leadership, we will be ones that obey God and follow after him without apology. We'll be the ones that, that obey God because I represent my whole house before God, and one day I'm going to answer for their spiritual condition and for my actions as a leader. So as long as I'm a leader, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to lead those under my leadership to do the same. Can I just, as we close, just speak to a few, few different people? Um, first of all, I think that this means a lot for us as men. Um, whether you are married and have a wife and kids, or you're single, um, God has given you influence in the home that you are in. And uh, men just like Joshua, you are called 
to make that same decision, to choose this day whom you will serve. To say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So men, if you're standing here, why don't you just stand up a second? I want to just talk to you. Stand up. I think it's great for men to stand up and, and for us to just recognize the men in our midst. Because men, uh, in your home, you are the spiritual leaders of your families. You set the tone, right women? Yeah, and don't you want them to? Amen. Thank you. Thanks for speaking back. Amen. Amen. Men, you do. You set the spiritual tone in, in, in your family. And so my encouragement, like Joshua, is, is this. Have you made that choice to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are a lot of things going on in society right now. A lot of things that, that may be coming into your house as far as media goes or trends with different family structures or things like that. Will you say, as for me and my house, we will obey God and we will structure and obey God in everything that we do? Will you say that? Because, men, here's, here's the deal. Just like Joshua, you are placed as, as in that role of leadership in your house. And you will answer to God for the spiritual condition of your home. Do you realize that? And so, men, it's time for you, as you've stood up, to stand up and keep on standing up and say, I'm going to lead my family to choose to serve the Lord. Okay? Okay? Thanks, guys. You can sit down. And I appreciate you, and I love you, and I'm here for you. Okay? And your wives are here for you, and they're cheering you on. Okay? Okay. Here's the other thing. I'm not going to make you all stand up right now, but but parents, this is, this, this is for you. And, and women, like, you have just... A, a greater role, a great role in your family as well. But I want to just speak to you as parents together in your leadership. Um, parents, if you have children, um, they need to see you lead this way. They need to see you make that decision to serve God no matter what. Parents, um, some of you, as as you raise raise your kids, you're being a little passive. I'm speaking pastorally to you. Um, I just brought something. I'm going to go get it because I think it's a good little illustration of what, what we're doing here, okay? Some of us as parents, we are expecting to produce apples when we're planting onions. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? See, what you plant is what you're going to produce. So if you're planting onions and you're cultivating onions, you're going to produce not apples, but onions. Take that illustration however far you want it, but man, it's true, okay? And if you're just being passive in your home and just expecting your children to follow Jesus, what you're going to get is probably going to be an onion and not an apple. So children, um, parents, take that seriously. What you plant is what you're going to reap. What you cultivate is what you're going to produce. And so take that seriously and raise your children to follow, know and follow Jesus. Don't, don't let the school system do it. I love our teachers, but they are not parents. Take your role as parents seriously. Choose this day to serve the Lord. Say, as for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I'm not going to speak to you directly, but man, grandparents and children and teens and students and singles and whoever else you are out there, you're not off the hook either. Make that choice. Make that choice to plant the seeds of obedience so that you can produce apples. 
That's what Joshua wanted to say at the end of his life. Choose to follow the Lord. Got three more verses left. Let's finish out the book of Joshua. Are you ready? Verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sereth, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So as Joshua died, he gave these last words, didn't he? And what he said, actually, it reminds me of that sign from Seneca Rocks. I don't know if, um, Rebecca, you can pull that sign up again, right at the beginning, the sign from Seneca. But remember what it said? It said, stop. You alone are responsible for your safety. (laughs) That was a serious sign. And what Joshua's call to them was also a very serious sign choose. Make a choice of what, what your sign is going to read. And what he's saying at the end of his life is, is just like I said, he said, change the sign. Make sure they change the sign. Because I don't know if Joshua had a, a tombstone or not, but I would guess that on his tombstone would have read, I'm a man who has chosen to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe that if he had a tombstone, that would have been his, his epitaph, his famous last words. Can I ask you, what will the sign at the end of your life read? What will your famous last words be? Why don't you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Father, we have heard from your word now, and God, each of us, we have a choice to make. Some of us have already made that choice. And for us, it's a matter of continuing to choose to serve the Lord each day. So God, I want to just pray for for each of us right now. God, that in in all the pressure of culture and family and um, everything around us, God, that we'd be able to make that decision to believe that your ways are best, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that there is no way to God but through you. God, that your law is what shows us your pathway to life. And that Jesus Christ, he, he redeemed us. He made us new. So Lord, Lord, we just pray that we'd be able to follow you in obedience. And make that choice right now to follow after you. As we keep on praying today, I, I know that there's also those here that maybe have not made that choice yet. And with your eyes uh, closed and your head bowed, what I want to just ask you is this. Have you witnessed God's faithfulness in the past, like Israel, in your unfaithfulness, in the impossible or in the battles? If you have, then like Joshua's challenge to you, make that choice. Do yourself a favor. Do God a favor. Make that choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. If you want to make that choice to follow Jesus, it says in Scripture, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Those of you who want to say yes to Jesus, just raise up your hand right now just as a sign to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm 
I receive you. I'm going to make that choice to follow you. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? What I want to do is just those of you that have your hands raised right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer to receive Jesus, to make a choice. And those of you that have made that choice, you can just pray it in your heart with me as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I need you. I cannot save myself. I confess of and I repent of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross in my place and you rose again. I believe that you alone are the way and the truth and the life. Will you save me? I give you all of me today and declare from this moment on that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Praise God. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.